Well, that introduces kind of our message for today. Last week, we launched a new teaching series from the book of Philippians, and we're going to come to that again today from Philippians chapter 1. We're studying together on joyful, a gospel-centered response to this. This blank is what you get to fill in and what you get to describe as having and needing a gospel-centered response. This morning, we're going to look in Philippians chapter 1 in just a moment. We'll pick up in verse number 9. We already read verse number 8. But when we look back at what we studied last week, Paul laid a great foundation with this letter. He was giving us the right perspective, even in the midst of his imprisonment, of how to remain joyful no matter what's going on. And I love what Paul does with this very dear thank you letter that he writes to the church at Philippi. And as we continue in that thought today in our text, we're going to see that he gives this prayer in the middle of prison, this petition on the behalf of these dear people. We saw at the beginning of the service in verse number eight that there was this great longing for them, this desire to be partnered with them again. And Paul really doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know how long his imprisonment will last. He doesn't know what the trial is going to bring. Is this going to cause him to be free again, or will this bring an execution to his life? And so Paul is writing with great purpose and intent in this letter to encourage these believers. And really for us at Parkway, I love the fact that we can study this passage, this book, this letter, this thank you note from Paul, and embrace it on our own to say, what is it that in the midst of this, how should I have a God-pleasing, gospel-centered response? So would you join me in your copy of the scriptures, whether that's your hard copy or your digital copy, whatever it might be, would you turn there, click there, be there, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse number 9. As he continues to write this letter, he says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. This morning, we're going to look at a message I've entitled, Genuine Love. A gospel-centered response to this is really a call for God's church to function with genuine love. So let's study that together. Father, we ask for your leading in our message today. Thank you for the outpouring of prayer that has gone into the preparation for today. Thank you for the music, how it has stirred our hearts. It has pointed our direction to you. We have come now ready to study, to take biblical truths and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to say thank you for joining and being a part of today. When I came up here for this part of the service, I really wished we had more songs to sing. I enjoy hearing the worship team lead, the instrumentalist play, and it's just a really thrilling part of what makes Parkway Baptist Church. But boy, I tell you, sitting on that front row, singing with the team, I miss hearing you sing. Just the the corporate gathering of people all together around the uh, worship center, lifting our voices, some on key, some not quite on key. And that's all right. I won't pick you out or point who you are. Uh, But all of us just collectively joining our voices together. 
Now, what's really helpful for my jokes today is that Carlos gave me a big smile, and he's running the camera. So he's the one I see. So Carlos, I'm going to need your help. You laugh, smile whenever I give any jokes. Some of you gave some emojis last week right in the middle of my corny jokes, and that helps. So the, the rest of them are going to do this. They're going to say, that was good because we, we got an emoji from you. So you guys help me out with that live feed on the corny jokes. These petitions or these prayers that, that Paul is offering on the behalf of the church really should propel us forward. It should really lead us, push us to how we can pray for one another. It's the kind of sincere prayers that a husband and wife make for their spouse, for one another. It's the kind of depth in our prayers that a, a parent has for their child or that even a child has for their parent. One of the things I love so dearly at nighttime when our prayers with the girls before bed is when they pray, they're praying for their mom and their dad. And they're praying for um, how God would protect them, help them to feel better, or give them strength and energy for the day. That their rest would be adequate for energy for the next day. That they would have wisdom. And I really appreciate that aspect of prayer. I know that as an adult, we pray for our parents but even as children, we can teach our kids to have that in-depth prayer of thinking and praying for other people. There's the prayer of a friend to a friend or a church member to church member. It is embracing that type of prayer for one another. We talked a little bit about this last week with that intercessory prayer. And here it comes that Paul is saying, I'm not just telling you that I'm praying for you. He says, I'm writing out my prayer. And that's where we see here in verse number nine, he says, I pray for this. And this is an incredible thing. As we saw in verse number eight, we saw this affection and compassion and where it comes from. That affection and compassion for one another cannot be fabricated and it cannot be, um, uh, it cannot be fake or fraud. It definitely has to be genuinely coming from Jesus Christ. You know what that's like to try to love somebody that's difficult to love? And the only way that you can love them properly is if you allow God to love them through you. And that's not easy, but it's proper, it's important. And what that leads us to is if, we're if we're, that love is coming from Jesus Christ, I love what J.B. Lightfoot, what he said about this, he put it this way, he said, this is a powerful metaphor describing perfect union. The believer has no yearnings apart from the Lord. His pulse beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ. Could that be described as you? Could that be the way that you are living like Jesus? Your pulse is the pulse of God. Your heart throbs with the heart of Christ. And you have no yearnings in your life separate from the yearnings that come from God. Well, how do we do this? How do we respond in this kind of love and affection for one another and I see how Paul really lays this out in his prayer for the church at Philippi. Look at verse number nine. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So first of all, we see that this love happens by knowledge and by this discernment. These two Christian qualities were necessary in a community like Philippi where there was a lot of disunity and there was a lot of gossip, there was a lot of lying, there was a lot of um, fault-finding in other people. And when you think about our day right now, that certainly can des describe this time of uncertainty. A moment where 
not necessarily that the church feels disunified or fault-finding, but in our culture, we're having that thrown down our, crammed down our throats every day. That there's somebody else to blame. There's fault-finding. And then there's also this disunity. Nobody can agree. Uh, we've got all of this data coming at us and so many facets and so many resources and, or sources that we're trying to process everything. And if we're not careful, all of this is going to become a tendency for us then to naturally fall into that suit where now we're just a very disunified person and then we're always looking to pass fault on somebody else. The church cannot remain healthy. It cannot stay strong if that becomes the mentality, if that becomes the core of how they function, disunified and fault-finding, passing the buck and blame. So in order to properly express Christian love, it requires that we have this God-given insight into people and their situations. That's a prayer for wisdom, James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So we want this knowledge, we want this discernment, and it's not so that we have head knowledge, it's not that we're looked at by people as, wow, that's a really brilliant guy, that's a really smart person. No, this knowledge is the ability to process information by people and their situation and the lives that they live. And what does that mean in the church realm? What does that mean in the spiritual journey? It means that we're able to decipher the real true needs that people have. I loved how this week on Facebook on our, our church page was posted this reminder about one of our core values was to live generously. This living out generously is something that is a core value we express and we live out on a daily basis. And so the reminders came through to us for care for those in your circles, care for those who are elderly, immunocompromised, or otherwise vulnerable in this situation. Look to be a huge help and to be a blessing. Get beyond yourself and see what the needs are that other people have. Offer to pick up groceries, medications, or other necessities that would require them to go in the public setting. And maybe you can be that source of help to them. Maybe reach out to them to let them know that they are not alone. Maybe having a time of, of prayer with them. One of the things that we're going to put into place next Sunday morning, if we continue this setting for another couple of weeks, is that uh, a couple of us are going to have prayer appointments on Sunday morning. And so this week, we're going to start lining up five-minute call appointments on Sunday morning where we just pray together. Um, this morning, I had the privilege with five different men to just in different moments of the morning, they would just pray over the phone with me, praying for you as a church family, Praying for you as maybe an outsider connecting with our service today. Praying for our worship team. Praying for the message. Uh, praying for all the elements of technology to function properly. And this was an element that connected us in a spirit of love for one another. So it's really important and maybe that's something that could spread. Maybe it's something that on a Sunday morning instead of sitting in your connection class, you've got five-minute appointments with somebody in your group that you're just having a word of prayer for, taking burdens to the Lord that you're facing in your life, but also elements of the church, elements of the community, elements of how we can step up to this moment that God has given us. This word knowledge in the text, it doesn't refer to this head knowledge. What it is really referring to is, is helping us to see of a heart understanding. 
But having a heart understanding is only going to happen if we sit still for a little while and are willing to listen to people's needs. This true heart understanding means that we can empathize and we can sympathize. And it's not just a name and it's not just a face that we quickly pass over. You got your elements, you got everything you need, you got bread, milk, toilet paper, good. All right, got to move on to the next one. No, it is taking time with a true heart understanding to hear the emotion that comes over the phone. It's being able to decipher with discernment the message that is being given to you through a text. It's being able to take whatever conversations you are having and not looking surface level, but it's saying, God, give me that Holy Spirit knowledge and discernment. Why? Because I'm being guided by your love to help this individual. Paul was really master at that, but he even continued on in verse number 10 because this this compassion and this discernment is motivated by sincerity. This true love for one another it says that you prove, approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere. And Paul explains that the reason for requesting knowledge and discernment is so that we may approve the things that are good, those things that are excellent, those things which are best. And so this means that Paul is, is what he's praying is that he would be able to discern what is excellent in loving other people. This, this is not a decision of choosing good versus evil. As Stephen Lawson put it, the most challenging choices are often in deciding what is good, better, best. So this is not a moment of expressing our love to one another by those who are good versus evil. This is by giving us knowledge and discernment to pour into that which is good, better, best. Someone like myself might have a great need for a brand new four-door Jeep Recon. Um, and that may be, I don't know what color, um, gray, I guess. Jason, you had a gray one. I'd, I'd take a gray and red combo. And I may express that, but that's, that's only good. So nobody today is going to go out and, and provide for that need. Now, don't let me stop you, okay? Don't let me stop you. But nobody probably today is going to go out and supply that, that need, But what you can decipher in conversation with me today is that through this week, I had a head cold earlier in the week, fought it off with some some natural things and feel much better today. But being the loving and caring husband that I am and very sharing husband, I gave that to my wife two days ago. And so you would know in conversation with me that uh, we have a need in our home that she's not well and she's uh, got tissue, I shouldn't say, okay, but she's not well. And she is looking to get, feel better. She's doing everything she can. Now, she doesn't have a high fever. Uh, she doesn't have a hard time breathing, okay? So don't, don't call the authorities on us, all right? So she's just got a head cold that she's working through. So for us in our relationships with one another, it is looking for that knowledge, and it is looking to be motivated by sincerity. It is not being fabricated in this It's not looking for justice for somebody. It's not saying, I'm looking for promotion and and praise. It's not looking for revenge on somebody else. It is having really great sincerity that wants the best for somebody else. I really appreciate that in several people in my life. People in my life who can look at others and and see the, the journey that they're on, the bumps and bruises that they face, but ultimately trying to be more like Jesus Christ. 
in a church setting like Parkway, we know that we're all just doing our best and we kind of, we kind of go through life with the ups and downs and the, the turns and everything that comes our way. And ultimately, we partner with one another, we fellowship with one another, and we participate in the gospel with one another. And we want to grow because that comes from a true spirit of sincerity that is motivated by that love. Now, if you want a more in-depth study, take 1 Corinthians 13 for an example and dig into that letter that Paul wrote to a very dysfunctional, messy church in Corinth. And he was sandwiching conflict going on with that text in 13 by just telling us how to love one another. And we won't rehash any of that thought there, but I encourage you this week, study 1 Corinthians 13 and read through the elements of what true love is. And when we're motivated by sincerity, we're going to be able to love one another that way that Paul wrote. In the last part of verse 10, we see he says, uh, not only to do this with, uh, with sincerity, but that we would be without offense until the day of Christ. And so I love this thought that we are free from causing a stumbling block to somebody. Without offense means to be blameless. And Paul is praying that the, that the Philippians there in the church would show themselves to be blameless and literally not to be a stumbling block to somebody else and that they wouldn't stumble themselves. And may we never be the blame for causing someone else to sin because of our own attitude, our own actions. By the way, that's pretty much easier to say than done because, again, fault-finding, we're very easy to do. And we want to say, well, that's that, own, that person's fault and problem, why they're struggling, while they're sinning, while they're doing that. But sometimes if we take a moment to see some of the conversations we've had, some of the things we've said, maybe the negative spirit we've expressed, or maybe by our own carnal actions, it's led somebody else to struggle in their own spiritual journey. Now, I get it. The judgment seat of Christ one day, we're not going to partner together and say, well, that's going to be on me. That's my fault that he did such and such. I get that. But here on earth, we are called and commissioned and this is a really important aspect of the Christian journey is that we're not exercising our Christian liberty in such a way that we're just leaving everybody else in the dust to figure it out. But sometimes God calls for us to use great wisdom and discernment to make decisions that maybe aren't the best for us in that moment, but it's, it's for the greater picture. It's for the greater good of what the church will do moving forward. And this helps us to be able to make better decisions because we're loving one another. It matters to God how we live our lives. It matters to God the decisions we make. It matters to God the attitudes we express. It matters to God our separation from the things that become entanglements and distractions of our spiritual life. This complete forgiveness of our sins that we experience as new believers in Christ does not give us an excuse to continue to sin. Study Romans chapter 6 this week, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, that is not it. And he continues by saying, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so this is clearly laid out. That our forgiveness of sin does not excuse us to continue in sin so that grace will just continually abound. But this call to be more like Jesus Christ is a call to holiness, to strive to be like Jesus. And then it comes to the last part in verse number 11. Paul is writing this letter and he says, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. This supernatural fruit began to sprout in all of us when we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. The day we became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of him, that day was the day that this love began to sprout in us. And what it produced were fruits or evidences of righteousness in us. Now, there's nothing good about who we are. It's just because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. I'm thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for all mankind, for all the world. Now, for you who are listening today, there are several of you who are a part of of the church family. And that terminology is not some inside lingo. Really, that's just a description of those who have become a part of the family of God who are connected to this local church. But then I know that there are several of you who are logged in right now who are part of a greater picture who are a part of the followers of Jesus Christ, who we will spend eternity one day in heaven, and we will fellowship, we'll rejoice, we will worship together one day. And though we may be separated by miles and be part of different local churches, we are still a part of this great big family. And we are commissioned by God to share and live out the gospel. But there may be some of you listening today, or maybe following after with the video, who maybe you're just kind of checking it out, Looking, exploring, experiencing. What is, the, what is this church all about? And it's really not the message of the church today. It's really about the love of Jesus Christ and the word of God that we want to communicate. So maybe you're here today and you're, you're listening and you're looking for answers. Why is this chaos happening in my lifetime? Why does this seem to be taking place in this moment in history? When is the end going to come? What does this look like and what is my purpose in the midst of all of this? This is certainly a time where people are looking for answers. People are looking for hope. People are looking for some joy. People are looking and longing for some sense of peace. It doesn't take you long to just flip through social media and see people's lives who are in disarray. People who are complaining, who are, who are worried, and people who are really just outright harsh and rude at what's taking place. And so that's where the love of God's people and the gospel come into play. Because the hope of the gospel says that in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of heartache, we can remember that there is great joy and peace and hope in Jesus Christ. Let me share a couple of thoughts with you today. If you're a part of the church family, this is something that you can express to the friends that you encounter on a given day. Or maybe if you're still in the work field uh, this coming week, this is some truth that you can share with them. The answer to all of this is Jesus Christ. The questions don't have to be asked all the time. Why? 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 The answer or the question needs to be, how does this work? So when we look to the hope of Jesus Christ, we see that he died for the sins of all mankind. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that hope can come through Jesus Christ. When you look at the historical account of the life of Jesus Christ, you would see that he lived a sinless life, the only one to ever live who never sinned. And because of that, he became the greatest sacrifice for all mankind, and he would die 
on that cross for you and me. As he shed his blood on that cross, that shedding of blood was given so that our sins could be forgiven. And with our sins being forgiven, now we are become new creations in Jesus Christ. The old man can be passed away. We take on this new creation and new creature, and we follow after Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, my plea with you would be if you're searching and looking, we've already prayed for you this morning, not by name because I don't know who you are, but I've prayed with five men this morning for God to draw you to himself, to open your eyes to the need of Jesus Christ and for your willingness to follow after him as a true believer. If you have questions about that today, we would love to explain more of the gospel truth. We want to help you, and that would be something that you could fill out one of those connect cards and just let us know, or call the church office, or email us, do something to connect with us so that we can share that truth and your life can meet Jesus. As we come to the end of this portion of text, we see that this is not a self-generated evidence of righteousness. So often Christians want to wear their fancy robes and they want to keep their head and chin held high and they want to walk around as if they've got this all figured out. And then we look and we see like, whoa, there's Holy Joe and there's Super Saint Sally. And we've got all our descriptions of people we see on the outside. But the truth is what's in the heart. Paul is not speaking of something of some facade that we carry ourselves around in such a special way. He's speaking of a true evidence of, of this righteousness that comes only by Jesus Christ. You see that in the text, verse 11? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. This cause in effect is, is our putting our faith in Jesus Christ is the cause and then the effect is genuinely loving other people. So Christian, if you're not genuinely loving other people today, if you're really struggling to show compassion to others, if you're really having a hard time seeking for knowledge and discernment with people's lives and circumstances, if you're struggling with being motivated by true sincerity to love people, if you've come to this place where you are, are being more of a stumbling block than a stepping stone in people's spiritual journey, the evidence of righteousness is not in your life. And so for all of us today, we must reflect on that. Now, the fellowship of the believers, the connection and partnership that we have is one that is very helpful in the spiritual journey. And that's why our prayer right now is this void that we have in all local churches, the void is that we're not partnered together in a face-to-face -face interaction. Now, we pray that week two is going to finish here in a few minutes and that we'll move forward from here and we'll continue to do this as long as we have to. But this is not the new norm. This is not the new church. The church functions as a body of believers together. The weightlifter, he's really bummed out right now because the gyms are closed. And so he's doing everything he can on his own to eat healthy, drink healthy, and run and exercise and, and maybe lift up a child or something to get his workout. 
But what he's realizing is the place for his partnership to help him to grow is lacking. So for the church body, we would see that, yes, on our own, we're reading God's word, we're growing, and we're accountable for ourselves, and we're taking steps of growth. And then we're able to connect in this way to hear music that is led to hopefully direct all of us to worship, a message that is given to hopefully turn our hearts to Jesus Christ. But what we're lacking is the entrance into the gym. What we're lacking is the interaction with one another. The conversations that with knowledge and discernment is able to cry with a fellow church member. The knowledge and discernment that's able to laugh at a blunder that happened earlier this week with somebody. Or maybe the ability just to be open and transparent in our connection class and say, here is where I need prayer. So what is lacking is this fellowship and we have to be very active in keeping ourselves in tuned with where God has placed us at this moment. And so the genuine love becomes a concentration of how to respond to this. I close with a story that I told maybe a year ago, but it's really helpful in a moment like this. John Fawcett understood and experienced what biblical fellowship was in a very deep way. He was born in 1739 in England, and at the age of 16, he became a follower of Jesus Christ, put his faith and trust in him under the preaching ministry of the great evangelist George Whitfield. It wasn't many years later that he felt the call of ministry on his own heart. And so at the age of 26, with his new bride, Mary, they went to a small town, Waynesgate, to pastor a very small ministry with a very impoverished people. Though the people were were poor and lacked resources to adequately, adequately support him, they compensated by their lack of resources with faithfulness and true, genuine love for the pastor and his wife. After seven years of faithful service and meager circumstances, his reputation as a powerful preacher, as a Bible scholar, and as a writer, the news had spread to London, and King George III had heard about this and appreciated his writings. And so he sent word. He called Pastor John to come and make a decision to leave this impoverished community in Waynesgate, this small, unheard church, and to come to the great city of London and to this influential Carter's Road Baptist Church. So after a lengthy and difficult decision process, John and Mary Fawcett decided to accept the call. The wagons were loading with the very few possessions that they had, and the people from the church and community all gathered around for their final farewell. The tears were flowing and consider. Touched by their great outpouring of love, he and his wife began to weep. And finally, after several moments of sad goodbyes, Mary Fawcett said out loud, Oh, John, I just can't bear this. They need us so badly. And John's response was, God has spoken to my heart too. He says, tell them to unload the wagon. We cannot break these wonderful ties of fellowship. This experience inspired Fawcett to write a hymn. Blessed be the tie that binds our heart in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred mind is like to that above. John and Mary Fawcett, they carried on their faithful ministry in that little village of Waynesgate for a total of 54 years. 
The church was humble and tiny, but the fellowship was huge and blessed. It's reported that the king promised Pastor John any benefit that could be awarded to him. But the offer was graciously declined with this statement, I quote, I have lived among my own people, enjoying their love. God has blessed my labors among them, and I need nothing which even a king could supply. It's a really wonderful story behind the incredible words, blessed be the tie that binds our heart in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. But today, as we finish up and we go in our separate ways, as we begin to devour our lunch plans, we begin to put together our Sunday afternoon nap strategy. There's not a whole lot of football or baseball or anything good to watch on TV, but a lot of elements of distraction are going to enter into our life. And if you're like me, in all honesty and transparency, I am longing and urging for the time of of partnership and fellowship again. To hear your voices in the worship center. To hear your laughter in the lobby. To see your smiling face. To see the growth that you're experiencing on a week-to-week basis. To hear your testimonies of what God is teaching you, how God is stretching you, how God is shaping you. And as a body of believers together, I long for that moment when we'll be together again. But until then, it's not doom and gloom. It's a call for us to sharpen up genuine love. The tie that binds us in Christian love. May this week we not be so self-centered that we forget about those around us. Those who God wants to use us to love. Those who God wants to love through us. And so may this week we practice genuine love. Would you pray with me? Father, in these closing moments of reflection and application, I want to ask you to use this time to help us to take steps of growth. Help us not to just be um, hearers of the word, but to be participants, to be doers. We don't want to just sit back and hear um, descriptions. We don't want to just hear what, what happened or what could happen. We want to hear what can continue to go and how we can play a part in that. So Father, use this time now wherever people are, not to click off or to to be distracted by conversation and not to be eliminated from what is taking place. So help us to reflect and apply in Jesus' name. So wherever you are today, I I wanna give us some reflection questions. We're gonna post those on this uh, comment page where you'll see them very clearly. Something that you can come back to later this week in your personal study or something that you can even do with me right now. Number one, Paul's prayer provides a helpful checklist to aid us in our prayer for others. What steps will you take this week to intercede for people? What steps? Are they coming to your mind right now? Maybe write them down. Put them in that memory bank. Take some active steps of how you will intercede for other people. Praying for God to give you that knowledge and discernment, motivated by sincerity, so that you can know not what is good in people's life, not even what is better, but where is it that is best for you to fulfill that need? Number two, what evidence of righteousness being produced through you 
do you think is seen and experienced by others? <laughs> so many times we think, oh yeah, I've got this. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've got fruits of righteousness flowing out of me. I can't carry it all. But maybe you would be willing to, um, to ask them about that this week. Husbands, would you be willing to ask your wives? Wives, ask your husbands. Children, would you ask your parents? Teenagers, would you ask a friend? College students, would you find somebody to interact with with that question that says, what fruits, what evidence of righteousness do you see lived out in me? And be willing to hear the answer. Number three, how do you see these times as opportunities to love and serve others? Would you join us next weekend with our, our prayer chain? We're going to do five-minute segments on Sunday morning, and we'll set that up through the office. We'll kind of give you some uh, feedback on how to do that, but maybe you'll just set up four or five phone calls next Sunday morning, and you just say, look, we've got five minutes because I've got another five-minute prayer call, but how would you do that this week? And you don't even have to do it on Sunday. Let's, let's do it from now until then, and let's just look to see how we can partner in prayer. I love having conversations with people to talk about football, to talk about hobbies, to talk about family, to talk about marriage, to talk about a number of things. But I tell you, this morning, and that time that I had with those five men, was time that I cherish so dearly. I'm thankful for those men and the time that they gave to just come to heaven on our behalf as a church and to pray. What, a, what an incredible example of genuine love. So church, let's be participants in that this week.